deceiving, can't they? I mean, looks can be deceiving. It, let me give you an example. Back in 1999, if you were living in the southeastern part of the United States or a part of the Midwest, you might have been outside on a very clear day and looking up at the sky, and you would have seen a two-engine Learjet soaring across the sky. And if you're like me, you would have thought, man, that's the way to travel, right? Travel in your own jet. You know, you leave when you want, you get there when you want to, et cetera. Man, you know, those people are lucky. But looks can be deceiving. You know, on that particular day, that Learjet took off from the Orlando airport, kind of reached its cruising altitude as it got to into northern Florida, and their flight plan called for them to make a left and head for Dallas, Texas. When the time came and their flight plan time for them to make their turn, they never made the turn. Air traffic controllers tried over and over again to raise the cockpit, and there was no response. The plane just kept going straight. After a while, they scrambled a couple of military jets to come up alongside of the plane. As they approached the plane, everything looked normal. The plane was moving along. It, it looked beautiful. But as they got closer, and at one point, one of the military jets had pulled within 40 feet of this Learjet. And suddenly, he noticed something that was terribly wrong. All the windows were iced up from the inside. Somewhere in that takeoff, as they reached cruising altitude, the plane had lost pressure. The freezing cold air from the outside had flooded the cabin, and everyone was dead. All the military could do that day was literally just follow the plane, and, and they just followed it to eventually ran out of fuel, and then it crashed in South Dakota. On that plane were six people, one of them whom happened to be Payne Stewart, professional golfer. Some of you remember that from back in 1999. But use that as an illustration that looks can be deceiving. And I think that's something that we need to appreciate as well as we think about our spiritual journey before God. We, we have many examples before us in just recent history that there are those who on the outside can look like they've got it all together spiritually, right? I mean, they're, they know a lot about the Bible. They're committed to the church. They're active. They're teaching. Some of them God has used in tremendously powerful ways. I mean, more, probably the, the most recent big story was Ted Haggard a few years ago, remember? Guy who had started this church, grown this mega church in Denver, and had become the head of the National Evangelical Association with such a spiritual influence over the nation that they literally had senators and congressmen who were coming to meet with him to talk about what was on the heart and the mind of evangelicals. So on the outside, everything looked good, but behind the eyes and between the ears, it was a whole different story, right? He, he, he was just had this raging struggle going on within him. And you can point in other examples. I, I remember the, the, probably the, the, the best preacher that I've ever heard was a guy by the name of Joel Gregory. He was a professor at our seminary that I went to, and eventually he moved on there. And, and, and um, he became the, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Of course, in Texas, they say the First Baptist Church of Dallas. You know, a huge church, influential in the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. So he went there to be their pastor, and he, and he was a tremendous communicator. But behind the eyes and between the ears, there was a, there was a, the, things just weren't the same. 
And shortly after I left school and came back up to the Northeast and he had taken that role, I learned that he had to step down from that position because he had had an affair. And, was with, with, and, and, and he and his wife had divorced and he was selling funeral services as his career. You know, and, and even here personally in, in, in New England, when I came back, one of the guys that, that I, I really admired, a guy that I wanted to follow, this is, you know, he, this is a guy who had gone to a small little town in New Hampshire, and he had grown a large church for that, for that period, you know, six, seven hundred people. God was just doing amazing things. On, on the outside, this guy was charismatic. He was engaging. He was on fire for God, all that kind of stuff. But behind the eyes and between the ears, there was a battle going on, and he was losing the battle. And as it turned out, that he had actually in many ways used his pastoral ministry to be a, a sexual predator. And he had had sexual relationships with at least six or seven different women in the life of the church over the time he was there. And so we, we've been in this series of talking about, can God trust us? And it's kind of a funny title, but we're, I'm using that as some shock value to, for us to kind of say, you know, how are we doing spiritually? Are we really solid in the places where it matters most? And we started out by looking about our relationship to things. We talked about stewardship. George talked to us about the exercise of the gift of prayer in our lives. Last week we talked about, in many ways, the heart. We, we used the passage about love from the Sermon on the Mount, but really the, the gist of it was, is our intent as we approach God's instruction to us to somehow just get to the minimum standard that we can conform to on the outside or is our heart really oriented around embracing the spirit of God's instruction and literally trying to become that person? But today I want to talk to us about our minds, about our thought lives. You know, they're, they're incredibly important. In fact, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 with me. We're going to unpack this in just a moment. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 965. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 for us in just a moment, but, but I want you to understand that, that our minds are incredibly important, and they are probably the best place for us to go and look. I mean, listen, um, probably the vast majority of the things that take direction and establish our lives are first settled in our minds. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I mean, what we think determines what we believe, what we value, what are our priorities, how we act, right on down the line. It's, it's powerful stuff. And, and so as the Apostle Paul, who had not yet been to the church in Rome, and, and he was so eager for it to have a, a solid foundation so that it could be a witness that literally went out around the Roman Empire, he had written to them in chapters 1 through 11, and he had laid out the best way that he could underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God had done in the story of grace. From the beginning of creation to the moment that Jesus stepped into the world, his death on the cross and how it changed everything. And He was laying out the gospel message as God had unfolded it in the eight things. And as he gets done teaching that, he starts with this thought. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give your life to God. Make, make it holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. He said, you know what? Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, 
now that all the truth is laid out, you, you've got it there. Just because you know it doesn't mean it's become you, and what you need is to have your mind transformed. You need to be changed. Because literally, our, our spiritual lives, our intellectual lives, our relational lives, our emotional lives, they are determined by what we think. They, they are. You know, let me just give you a few examples. I mean, yesterday, you know, we're having a baptism in the second service, and the baptistry had to be filled. And so it's in the morning. I was coming over to the office to do a few hours of work yesterday. So I sent David Gurkas, who almost always does the baptistry. I sent him a text message, right? And I said, Dave, you know, I said, well, actually, he had texted me. He said, I'll take care of the baptistry today. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to the office. I can just take care of it while I'm there. And I get this text back from him, no. <laughs> you know, and so here I am, like, I just made this gracious offer. What is up with this guy, you know? I mean, th this is what you could be thinking, right, in the midst of your head, you know? And, and so that could govern how I'm totally going to react. This guy's a jerk, et cetera, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and then when I get over here, Dave is here. And, and, he, and, and while I was driving over here, he sent me another text saying, I had already started filling it earlier. We were out running errands. I'm, I literally was pulling back into the building to finish it off. You know, you know it's a whole different explanation, but what we think, can determine exactly how we're going to react to everything that's going on around us, right? And so Paul steps into that void, and he says, listen, you see what God has done. And where, this, where the rubber hits the road spiritually, in terms of really changing us and what we value, what we appreciate, what we, what we prioritize, starts with what we think. So you've got to let God transform your mind. You've got to let God transform your mind. So in assessing our spiritual transformation in Christ, the best place to start is what's on our mind. What's on our mind? Because we can have all the trimmings on the outside that make us look like we're spiritual. And I'm not trying to tell you to neglect your behavior, but if you neglect what's going on behind the eyes and between the ears, you are setting yourself up for difficulty. So here's some points for you today to think about. First of all, I, I think we live in a time where we just really don't pay that much attention to what we think, right? You know, a lot of stuff kind of comes and goes, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the truth is all relative. And, and we've gotten to a place where we really don't pay that much attention to what we think. And, and one of the things that I think we need to do is to make sure that we really develop a healthy appreciation for the mind's strategic importance in our lives. I mean, in many ways, this is where life starts for us. Whether we're going to be governed by fear or by peace, whether we're going to be governed by, lo by, by love or by you know, uh, or hate, whether we're going to be governed by, by forgiveness or by bitterness, all that stuff is determined right up here. And we need to appreciate the strategic importance of our minds. Now, one of the ways that I got through college and managed to graduate with, a, with fourth of my class was that I stayed away from science, okay? I mean, because those are just too hard, you know? But, but the, the brain, and I don't understand really anything about the brain, but I got to tell you, I have no doubt that it is the capstone of the creation of God. The human brain is a capstone of the creation of God. I mean, you, our brains have made up our neurons. And every single neuron has about 1,000 connectors. 
And seven, every single one of those connectors has the ability of producing 200 calculations per second. So that means 200. So that means every single neuron that we have is capable of processing 200,000 pieces of information every single second. And guess what? You have about 100 billion of those in your brain. Now, just think about that. I don't think IBM's ever come close to building a computer that can do that, right? I mean, it, it, that is, is an amazing. I mean, the number comes down. I did the math. It comes down to something like 20 million billion calculations per second that your brain is able to process. And it's a wonder why we feel stupid. You know what I mean? It, it, it really is. I mean, but your brain is incredible. You know, and, and my brain is incredible. No matter how smart or dumb you think you are, your brain is, the, is the, the capstone of God's creation in many, many ways. And, and i got to tell you, it is here where our lives are determined. Just look at, listen to some things what, to what the Scripture says. i got, I got a statement here in your outlines for you. It said, what we think shows who we are, and it shows what we're going to do. You know, he says, Proverbs 27, 19 puts it this way. This is from the New Contemporary Version. And it, all it does is transfer, transfers the word heart to the word mind. And, and I actually think the, the intent there is, it says, it says, as the water reflects your face, so your mind shows what kind of person you are. You, you want to know who you are. Just, it, it would be incredible if we could just take the thoughts in our head and transfer it to videotape or to transcript and lay it out before us. And if, we, and if we could do that, we could really see who we are. Because there's stuff going on. I mean, Christina and I have been married for almost 30 years. We dated for seven years before then. She knows me better than anybody else on the planet. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on between these ears and behind these eyes that would scare her to death. <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? And, but... It, our minds, what we think, is, is, is a tremendous source of showing us who we are. And, and we need to pay more attention to our lives. It, it's, it's one of the things, I mean, I struggle. I mean, Christine can tell you, I, I struggle with silence. I get in the car, I turn on the radio. You know, if I'm in the office, I want to have the radio on. If I'm at home, I'm, I could be reading a serious book, but i got to have the television on in the background with some noise. I just got to have noise, you know? And a lot of us, we live our lives with noise like I do, and we never stop to say, boy, what am I thinking about? That's just kind of, but who we are and what we're going to do really is the best reflection of that. It's what's going on between the ears and behind our eyes. We need to understand what, what a, what, how, just how strategic, how important, how vital in our spiritual journey our brains are. And the scripture also says that changing what you think is the most powerful way to change what you are. I, I mean, I love it when human wisdom finally catches up with biblical revelation, what God's already told us. You know, William James, a, a writer from several, you know, more than a century ago, said, you know, the greatest discovery of his generation was that an individual could change the quality of life by simply changing the attitude of their mind. That's what William James said, Right? But it's interesting when you look at Proverbs 4, 23, it says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Uh -oh. 
Generations before then, God was already saying, you know what? You want to change your life? Watch what you think about. Watch what you think about. Because the way your life is going to run is based upon what you think. And, and so our brains are these in, incredible instruments that God has created, and they are vitally important. They are strategic, I think, in the advancement of the kingdom, in us and through us to the world. And, and as we recognize that, what we have to understand is that really the working out of our faith with fear and trembling really takes place mostly between the ears. I, I think, personally, the biggest battlefield in our spiritual warfare is in our minds. Now, I'm not saying there aren't cosmic spiritual warfare going on. I do believe that's true. I think there's some struggles between good and evil, if you will, in our world and etc. But when it comes to us working out our faith in fear and trembling, the biggest battlefield that we encounter is in our minds. Because what we think is really going to determine what we do. This past Friday night, out of a casual conversation that my wife had with a couple of WPI students, she managed to get us invited to go down to WPI and have the sexual purity talk with their Friday night fellowship. So there are like 70 kids there. They promoted this thing, whatever. All these kids there, right? And so we get to have the the sex talk, you know, with the students. And it was so we did a little bit of an opening piece, and we had a dialogue, guys and, and, and girls. And it's just wonderful, you know, getting together and just being real open, talking about masturbation and pornography and all this other good stuff that college students love to ask. And it's probably not a word that you've heard in church in quite a while, probably. But, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not important. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the issue, where they win or lose the battle, where you and I win and lose the battle is how do we define what's good? If, if being sexually gratified is what's good, that's what's going to make us happy, that's what we're going to land up doing. That's what we're going to base our life around, no matter what God says. If we understand that being sexually pure before God so that we have an uninterrupted relationship with him, that's where we're going to go. And, it, and that battle is won right between the ears, is it not? It's what we think. Our definition of a good life right now. It determines it, our priorities, our values, the way we're doing stuff. A lot of times, you know, we, we have this, this mindset, okay, if I have, you know, if I can have this kind of a house and this much money in the bank and this many kind of goods that make things comfortable and I can engage my kids in these kinds of activities, et cetera, then I'm living the good life. And, and, and we really, we, we orchestrate everything based upon how we see in our minds what the good life is. But if we understand our good life as being available to God to use in any way that he chooses. And we see that being active in the kingdom is the best way to live life. That, that changes everything in the way we live our lives. That's a battle that goes on between the ears. Agreed? And so the primary place of our spiritual battle is between the ears. The, our minds are the primary place for our spiritual warfare. You're, you're, we're in Romans 12, and, and, and just back up a couple of chapters, Romans chapter 8. I want to show you a, a passage of Scripture. I think that brings out the strategic role of the mind in determining how we do in our spiritual warfare. 
Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Just back a couple pages, page 961. He says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. How you've got your mind set is going to determine whether you're living life in the flesh. And, and let me define that, at least in this context, is, is that's, that's thinking about life and doing life without involving God and his truth and his presence in any of that. Just pushing it out. And the mindset of the flesh, when our mind is geared around doing life based upon where we learn everything from everywhere else but God, ultimately that's going to lead us to a place of death. But if the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. It's an incredible word. I mean, in, in Corinthians, Paul says, you know, you've got to understand that the battle going on isn't, you can't fight that with fleshly warfare. You have to rely on the Spirit who can implant the Word of God, the truth of God in your mind so you can be victorious in this. And you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 for that reference. It, it's, it's incredible stuff, but I don't know if most of us really understand that what we think, what we believe, determines really how we're going to do in the spiritual battles, whether we're going to have the mindset of the flesh and lead to death or whether we're going to have the mindset of the spirit that's going to lead us into a place with God's life. Powerful stuff. Where you and I fight the battle every single day to truly walk with God, to experience God's grace, to live out God's grace, to be these changed beings, this, the, the people who have been born again. To, it all comes down to whether or not we are really engaging the resources of God to have our minds changed, have them transformed. So the thought I really have for you today is we've recognized the strategic importance of the brain, as we've understand that it is really in our minds that the the, the victories in our spiritual warfare are won or lost, is that you and I really need to establish a commitment to have our minds changed. To have our minds changed. You know, we, we, we need to establish the commitment and the practices and the habits and et cetera that are going to lead to the transformation of our minds. Paul, in, in Romans 12, he's, he's laid out all of the great truths he says, but you know what? If this doesn't change the way you think, it's really not going to change your life. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the things we've got to do if is, first of all, is we just have to limit, if not totally eradicate, the cerebral junk food that we feed ourselves all the time. You know? I mean, and, and I, I, I'm guilty. I, I, I like sometimes just to sit down on the couch and watch mindless stuff that doesn't make me think anything. You, know, uh, you, you guys are there, I'm there, you know, but, and a lot of that stuff has stuff in there that's, that's certainly suggestive in lots of different ways. And, but it's interesting that First John tells us that we're not supposed to love the world or anything that belongs to the world. You know, and, and we need to watch what we're feeding our minds. You know, and, and, and this is a struggle for many of us. 
But, but we need to start taking that stuff that's not healthy for us, and we need to start limiting them to us. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's this is maybe an interesting illustration, but, you know, I, I think sometimes my, my wife, she goes to the grocery store, and especially when our kids are a little younger, but it still happens now sometimes, she buys these boxes with the little bags of gummy bears in them, you, you know? And so the idea is the kids would only have one gummy bag at a time. So you expose or limit their... Their ex, you know, you limit their exposure to the stuff that's not as good for them. It's not nutritionally as valuable to their diet, right? But the only problem was is that they just grab the whole box, dump it out on the thing, and you come home and there'd be eight bags lying on the thing. You know, it's just cheaper to buy it in the big bags, you know. And and there's a way in which we think, well, I'll just cut down in the little pockets here. You know, we we need to really be committed to getting the cerebral junk food out of our lives. And then with that, we need to begin to feed our minds what is, what is spiritually healthy and nutritious. We need to sufficiently feed your mind healthy truth. I want to read a passage from the book of Philippians to you. Again, this is Paul writing to a local church. And listen to what he says in verse 8 of chapter 4. He says, the, and I'm going to pick up the end of the, of the verse first to give you the, He says, this is what I want you to dwell on. This is what I want you to think about, okay? When you're walking down the street, when you're driving the car, when you're taking a shower, you know, when, when this is, these are the things I want you to dwell on. I want you to dwell on what is true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. If there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, he says, I, those are the things I want you to be focused on. We need to be feeding our minds stuff that's going to aid in the process of having the way we think transformed and changed. You know, and, you know, I, I think some of us, we just wish it would be kind of like a, a magic wand that God would kind of raise over us. If I just go to enough services or I go to the right service, it's all going to change. I got to tell you, this is a lifelong journey. And, and this is why we constantly are saying to you, I mean, God has made the greatest provision for us in Jesus Christ. He's given us the greatest gift. You cannot experience that gift to its fullness if you're not regularly in the Word of God. That's why we're always challenging you. Get up. Get your hands on the Bible. Read it. If you don't understand it, call somebody and ask them what it means. Get some basic resource. But you need to be in the Scriptures, reading it for yourself. You also need to be in community with other people. You need to be in, 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 that's why we push life groups and Sunday school classes and women's Bible studies and Wednesday mornings and accountability groups. You, you just need to be in this journey with other people because it is a journey of feeding our minds the stuff that's going to grow them and transform them. Transform them. It's why our messages on Sunday mornings are, are always built around the Word of God, around God's truth. Because you guys don't want to know what I think. You need to know what God has said. And we build it around the Word of God for that purpose. Because it's God's Word that has this ability to change our minds. Just a little bit more practical here. I, I think in this journey of really being committed to being changed, we have to be ready to win the skirmishes. And I think sometimes we just, we, we just want to win the whole war at once. But I think we have to really be ready to win the skirmishes. 
It was interesting on on uh, Friday night when I was at this this uh, the thing. Both of the panels, as we met with the guys and girls, had former students who were on the panels to talk to them. And one of them was a young man who was there, and and he was very transparent with the guys about the fact that when he was in high school and his early days in college, he was addicted to pornography. And he talked about the fact that he, as, he, as he made the switch and the change, he had to fight the battle every single day. It wasn't as though there was just this instantaneous kind of thing and it all went away, but he had to fight the battle every single day. So, sometimes it is simply a matter of saying, you know what, I'm going to hit the power off button and I'm going to reach for the Bible and I'm going to read it. Or sometimes it simply is, I'm going to take that thought that David Gerkes is the jerk because he just said no. I'm going to push that aside and say, maybe there's something more behind N-O than I know. And we just push it. We have to win the battles and the skirmishes. And the skirmishes will begin to lead into real victory. Lastly, I think we just need to be ready to ask God for help. And others for help. You know, but if you really want to know how spiritually healthy you are, just just think about what's running through your mind. So I think the question that God has for us this morning is, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? And praise the Lord that God's got plenty of good things for us to have our minds focused on. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for the marvelousness of our brains, the tremendous potential, just the the technological incredibleness of these things that you've stuck between our ears. And Father, we see that it's a gift from you. And that if we will join you in your desire to transform our minds through the thoughts of the Spirit, in the truth of the word, that you can utilize that gift to bless us in ways that we haven't even begun to imagine. So God, in that place where we fight the battle between love and hate, between forgiveness and bitterness, between fear and hope, between anger and compassion, between faith and doubt. We invite you to step in and to change us from the mind out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward at this time. We're going to lead our congregation in our final song. As we begin stand and begin to sing, we'll collect our offering. So let's stand together and sing to the Lord. And a sad task to do right now. Uh, Today is George's last Sunday with us. Many of you are aware of the fact that George has felt the Lord's leading um, to go and uh, serve as an intentional interim of a church in northern Connecticut, Eastford, I think, right? Is that correct? And so today's his last day. He's going to be working the rest of the week, wrapping up a lot of loose ends and et cetera. And so 
we wanted to have an opportunity to get a chance to pray over George and, 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 and bless him and ask God to use him as he moves out from us. So I'm going to invite George and, and Martha to come up. And uh, George has been with us for two years this month. Uh, he started with us in 2012 on a contract basis. We were looking for somebody really to help us with life groups and adult discipleship, and he came in and, and was just a, a great member of the team. And in August of 2012, we, um, the, the, under the leadership of our search committee, they, they felt led to bring George on permanently as our associate pastor, so he's served with us in that capacity since then. And uh, so he's going to be leaving us this week, I, I, sort of. Okay, George and Martha are going to keep their membership here. They hope to be engaged in some of our activities. They want to consider Hope Chapel as their home church. And so we're just kind of lending them out, if you will, for God to use to this church in Eastford, Connecticut. And uh, they got a good task ahead of them. So, you know, George has, has been involved with a lot of different ministries here at Hope Chapel. And, and so I'm going to, and, and with that, I'm going to invite them to participate. So we have a number of our life group leaders and life group members of the council and stuff who have showed up to be a part of this at the end. And I'm going to invite them to come forward and join me at this time. And any of our staff members, any of our elders who would love to be a part of this have been blessed with working with George. And I'm just going to take a moment here and lead us in a word of prayer for George and for Martha. And then we're going to let George and Martha slip out the back and get set up by the main doors as they leave. We're having cake in their honor. So it's out there. And, and so we have two of those so we can get a picture of the, the other cake. I know. I can you just go stand over there? No, no, no. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So anyways, there's a lot of love in our home, you know that? Anyways, but uh, George, just thanks for being just a, really just what a, a pastor should be while you've been among us. Amen. Anyway. So let's take a moment and pray. God, I, I thank you for George and Martha, the way that they've invested their lives in this region the way that they made themselves available to you to be used, the way that they've literally just let the faith and the pre that they have in Christ and the presence of Christ and the Spirit in their lives just to flow out and to be used of you. And God, thank you for the, the, the time that they've been with us here at Hope Chapel serving on our, our staff team. God, they've been such an encouragement and a blessing. God, you've, uh, you've grown our ministries through them. You've deepened it. You've You've allowed it to, to have a firmer foundation through which we can continue to be used of you to be agents of grace in the lives of people. And, uh, Father, now they've got a new adventure ahead of them. And, uh, Father, I pray for them as they step in next Sunday morning to this church in Eastford, Connecticut. Be a lot of new faces to meet, uh, new dynamics to understand, new ways to take what you've taught them and, and place within them and to apply it to what you're doing in that portion of the kingdom. And Father, I really pray that you'd work through them. God, that as they rely on you and as they open themselves up for you to work in, God, that you would just really use them as a tremendous blessing in the life of that church in Connecticut as they've been a blessing to us here. God, I pray that they would know just great joy in serving you every single day as a part of that ministry. God, that they'd be able to see how you're using them, the difference that they're making, how you're blessing people directly because of who they are and what they're doing. And God, with that, they would, they would just have a tremendous sense of the fact that they are available and open and being used of you and to know the joy of that service. So God, we pray for them today and we ask you to bless them and we thank you for their time among us and of what they've come to mean to us. And we just pray it all in Jesus' name.
Amen. 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 You bet. So don't go away just yet. All right? You, you guys can stay up here, and then we'll dismiss them. We, we got George a gift um, as a departing thing. Now, remember, when George, George came here, he was, he was not necessarily technologically advanced. Uh, he, he wasn't way, way behind, but he wasn't technologically advanced. He, he had an old brick phone or something along those lines. But, but he's actually taken a major step, and now he has a smartphone. And uh, I'm not sure he's really figured out how to use all of that yet. But So in the spirit of kind of moving him into the 21st century, we got him a gift. And so, yes, open it up right now. It's easy to do. Just take everything else. So. We, iPad Air. <laughs> so. Thank you. You bet. You bet. So we figured if, if George couldn't use it, at least his grandkids could. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways, but we've got to put that back in the bag. I've got to give it to you okay. next service. <laughs> but maybe we'll let you open it in between. But right. thank you. I'm going to let George and Martha be dismissed. You guys go right on down the center aisle, get out by the central door. And, and, uh, and I know many of you are going to want to take a moment and take it just to greet George and Martha. And uh, it'll be here after the second service. And... Um, And with that, you are dismissed. Have a great week, and God bless, all right? We've got to repackage that in there a little bit better. What? Yeah, it's not my gift.